Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. You know, uh, you're going to hear all these different, uh, you're going to hear all these different sermons. You're going to hear all these different approaches. You're going to hear different speakers, different people. And um, the intention of every single message, we, I can't tell you how many times we've changed our worship sets. I can't tell you how many times we've flipped things upside down because we're so genuinely saying, God, we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us. We want you to move. Everything that happens, guys, this weekend is so that it would hopefully teach you a little bit more of what it looks like to have a collision with God. You can see all over the Bible and all of Scripture what it looked like when people had a collision with either who Jesus was or in the Old Testament with who God was. And uh, I was thinking specifically, you can explain this, a collision, in terms of science. According to... Did somebody say science? We are one science, guys. We are one science, guys. We are one science, guys. Oh, the, the, we didn't have the budget for the, I thought those explosions right there. Okay, well, we're going to go, we're roll with it. We're going to roll with it. Uh, we're ditching the pyro. I want to, can I, can I jump in, Pastor Dave? Yeah, okay, I want sure, to teach okay. them about science. <laughs> science, cool, okay. Say it with me. Science. Okay, awesome. I was going to teach you guys about what we call an elastic collision, so. Elastic? I, elastic collision. So okay. go ahead. I need my props. Can we get your props? An elastic collision takes place, you see, when two objects collide. An elastic collision is, is the collision where they cannot stay together because of the elasticity, and they separate. So why don't you demonstrate this for us, boys? Ready? Elastic collision, take one. See? See, what's happening is the elasticity. Try it one more time. The elasticity in these two particles... It's, it is not allowing them to stay to give it, give it everything you got. Everything you got. Everything you got. <laughs> but then we have what we call a, a, an inelastic collision. What happens at an inelastic collision? Go ahead and just drop the ball. An inelastic collision, just, why don't you just, why don't you show some love? So what happens is these two particles come together and because of the lack of elasticity, they actually stick together and they <laughs> cannot separate. So uh, if these two particles actually went off stage right now, you'd notice they stayed <laughs> because of the lack. Science! Give it up for the We're One Science guys. Oh, man. Okay, let's make that spiritual. Um, okay, here we go. You're going to leave this weekend... You're going to leave from collision. And you're either going to walk away and separate from what God does in your life or you're going to let it stick with you the rest of your life. I can't tell you how many young people, how many youth and young adults I've seen come to encounters just like this. They've worshipped. I've seen them weep at the altar. I've seen them say, I want to change. They write in a journal. They get into all of it. And then they leave the weekend and they decide, but I'm really not going to change and do what's necessary to let it stick to me. And they walk away from God. They've literally sat in these same exact seats. They've heard essentially these same exact messages. It all points to Jesus in the end. And they choose to walk away afterwards. And they don't let it stick. So what's, what are you going to do with the collision? That's really the question. Are you going to let it stick on your life? How are you going to take that? I would say that's a question you should have just running through your mind. You should have friendships running through your mind. You should have relationships that you have with a boyfriend or girlfriend running through your mind. You should have maybe your work running through. You should have all that stuff running through your mind that at the end of the week, is, if there's anything that is going to keep it from sticking, it has to go. If there's anything that is going to make it bounce off of you, make it separate you from God, it has to go. Because when we say we're having a collision, it's not something that drives us away but draws us to more of God. My prayer is that it sticks to your life. So that's the question. What are you going to do with the collision? Have you ever had 
Uh, just something that happened in your life, something that you learned, something you read, a video you watched. Maybe you're reading the Bible one time. You've even read the verse before, but for some reason when you took it in this time, it just blew your mind. Like for me, I just found out that potato chips are the number one cause of weight gain. That blew my, you know why that blew my mind? I love jalapeno chips. And I didn't realize what was going on, but I was eating like a bag of potato chips, like I feel like every day basically, like I love jalapeno chips. And I was eating potato chips nonstop, gaining weight, gaining weight, like what's wrong with me? I can't fit. I cut out jalapeno chips in two weeks, I lost 10 pounds. When I found this out, my mind was blown that they are the number one cause of weight gain. Or maybe, maybe you didn't know this, do you know that dolphins have names for one another? Like actual names? Like one, they call each other like Sally and Wally and stuff like that. They have actual names for each other. Oh, here's one for you. Straws have one hole. Is your mind blown? Because I thought there was two. Statistically speaking, vending machines are twice as more likely to kill you than a shark. Like... I ain't ever buying a Gatorade or Pop or anything from those things ever again. I'm bringing my own. I'm going to go to Walmart and get it off the shelf. Like when I started learning some of these things or the, the, the fact that, um, okay, here's one. Plug your nose. Try to hum. You cannot plug your nose and hum at the same time. Or when I found out that there's more fake flamingos in the world than there are real flamingos, there's an issue. There's like truly something wrong with that scenario. Or like uh, stick your finger in your ear. I know it's gross, especially if you didn't clean your ears, but if you did, you're fine. And just scratch it back and forth. What does it sound like? Pac-Man, you were wondering. Okay. Mind blown. Or uh, say Jesus backwards. Sounds like sausage, you know. <laughs> this person's a freak with me in the front row. Thank you very much. Like, there are things that we find out that blows our minds. Why does it blow our mind? That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Why do these things blow our mind? You know, when you think of the idea of having a collision, we're going to each session talk about within a collision... Where does it happen? Why does it happen? How does it happen? What is it doing in our lives? Like, what does that mean to have a collision? Because the reason that for some people it sticks to you and for some people it separates you is because something called free will. Collision is found within your free will. God can literally come at you all he wants. He can show you how much he loves you. He can show you his plan for you. He can do this all he wants. But if you don't let it stick to you, it won't matter. If you don't get to a point where you truly say, I want this, I want more of you, it won't matter. I think one of the greatest examples of this is a man by the name of uh, Saul of Tarsus, okay? So Saul, he was a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the law, but as much as he knew all of this stuff about the scriptures, about who God was, about what the Old Testament law had to say, there was a problem. He couldn't see that this prophecy and all the things in the Old Testament were pointing to a real person that was going to finally show up. And it wasn't like everybody thought, but his name was Jesus and that he'd be the Messiah. So finally, Jesus shows up and Paul's like, no, this ain't the dude. So anyone that was following Jesus, anybody that lived for Jesus, anybody that served Jesus in any way with their life, he was imprisoning them. He was torturing them. He was killing them. And so there was this moment where this holy collision happens in his life. And it talks about in the Bible in Acts chapter 9 that he had gotten letters from an authority higher than him to go to a town called Damascus to go find more people that followed this Jesus. So here it is in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Think about this moment. 
This collision happening where literally the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, shows up in a bright light, knocks Saul straight to his butt. He's on the ground. He's knocked down. He, he's like, can't barely see what's going on right now. It says that the dudes with him are freaking out. They're like, what is happening? They're scared. They're hearing a sound of a voice, but they're not seeing anybody. And think about this. Take this in. Saul was on his way. He had a mission on his way to Damascus to go kill people that were following the dude that just showed up to him. So he literally has these letters. He's getting ready to go in prison and kill and torture these people. He's on his way because they follow this guy named Jesus, and this guy named Jesus shows up to him on the way. You, know, you talk about coincidence here, right? This is a holy collision that happens. But as you look at this scripture, Look at on top of this, not just gets knocked to his butt, but look what, look what happens in verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand in Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This moment is like, I think, a lot of your moments in life where you have a crossroad of what your life is going to end up to be. It could be a relationship. I remember when I was 16 and the relationship I got in, I promise you, if I had stayed in it just probably, I'd say, one more month, realistically, one more month, the decisions I would have made in that relationship could have put me on a trajectory to ruin the rest of my life. There are crossroads in your life. There are moments where God wants to get your attention, where God wants to do something in your midst, and he's going to do that all weekend with you guys. You're going to be listening to a message. You're going to be in worship. You're going to be praying. You're going to be in a, in a fam discussion. And something's just going to hit you, and it's going to be a moment of collision where you're going to choose after you have now discovered the truth of God's word, what are you going to do with it? So here's Paul. Here's that crossword. Literally, God shows up, knocks him on his butt. Jesus is there, bright light. He's blind. Now think about it. You hate Christians. You hate Jesus. Now this Jesus just made you blind. Think about it. He just made you blind now, and you already hated him before he made you blind. Talk about a crossroad of choosing whether you're going to stick or separate. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's caught up in this moment where he has a choice. Am I going to, like, listen to this dude and follow him? Or am I going to say, screw you, bro? Like, I didn't like you in the first place, and now you made me blind? Do you think I'm going to follow you? If you don't know the end of the story of Saul, his name later became Paul. He wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. He's, he was one of the most radical proclaimers, speakers of the gospel. He went before governors and kings, anyone that was, would listen. He was shipwrecked. He went through some crazy stuff. He was tortured. And finally, you know what? You know how his, his life ended following Jesus? He was beheaded. His head was cut off. That was the ending of his life. So here's this dude. You see him in this moment, and it's kind of like, what are you going to choose here? What are you going to choose here, Saul? And the decision that he's made was not based upon necessarily what he previously thought about something, but it was based upon the encounter and the collision that he currently had. I think there's a lot of you that walk in moments like this and you have preconceived ideas of what you think you're going to get out of it or what you think you're going to do afterwards rather than literally just surrendering and embracing the collision. To say, God, whatever you're going to speak to me, whatever's going to happen, I'm going to stand at the crossroad. I'm going to choose you. If you don't understand the ending of Saul's story, became Paul, he literally was killed for following Jesus. So check it. He started off killing people for following Jesus. He ended being killed for following Jesus. There is a cost. There is a price to follow Jesus. There is. You might get made fun of by people. Your family could disown you. I've heard plenty of different stories. But when you stand at the crossroad and you're choosing heaven and Christ or you're choosing hell and your own choices and the way you want to do things, that truly is how simple it is. The Bible says that Jesus called Paul his chosen instrument. This week, we have the opportunity to stand at that crossroad where God is asking you, what are you going to do with the collision? And there's been moments, if you would let yourself, where you're going to say Jesus backwards and realize it's sausage. You're going to go, straws have one hole the whole time? I thought there was two. And I don't know what it is, but something's going to blow your mind. Maybe it wasn't this stuff, and maybe you're like, I already knew that. I already knew Jesus backwards was sausage. And, and maybe there's certain things that it's okay. Not everything this weekend has to blow everybody's mind. So something might blow your mind, and it might blow my mind differently. Like, when I found out that, that this made a Pac-Man sound, I did it for like an hour straight. 
And my mind was like literally stinking blown. So something that might blow my mind might not blow yours, but something that blows yours might not blow mine. But whatever you're in the midst of when the collision happens, when Jesus is speaking, you're at a crossroad. Why does it blow our mind? Why when something happens, maybe you've read the same Bible verse if, if you've opened it up and you brush the dust off because you realize you haven't read it for a while and you heard a Bible verse when you are a kid and you open it up and you're like, I never knew that. Probably number one, because you don't read your Bible enough. And number two, because you read it. And I know this is simple, but why do things blow our minds? Something as stupid as, you know, Vending machines are twice as likely to kill you than sharks. Like, why does that blow our mind? Or come on, there's more fake flamingos than real ones. That one, like, threw me off for a little bit. Like, why does this blow our minds? Because I know it's simple, but we didn't know it before. I know that, like, that's simple, but we didn't know it before. Collision does not happen in the places that you are aware of and know. It happens in the unknown and what you don't know. Because, listen... If collision is going to happen what you don't know, you will never pursue God in those moments because you already know about it. You kind of step back and you go, I already knew that. But if it happens in a place where you're on a road to Damascus, if it happens in a place where you were unaware of it, if it happens in a place where you're like, I never knew that before, if God shows up in that place, it's going to get, our, it's going to get your attention. You know what this is called? Collision is found in the mystery. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Collision is not necessarily found in all the places that we already know about God, all these things we already know. A lot of times when God meets us, it's found in a place in the things that we had never heard of before, we had never known before, we had never thought about before. Collision is found in the mystery. You know what's so cool about mystery? Is the more mystery of God that you step into, the more that you can get to know God and the more God has for your life. So God has more in the mystery. And when you begin to step into like more of who he is and you're like, well, I don't know a lot about God, that's what's awesome. It's a mystery. Do you guys know that I've been serving Jesus, let me do quick math here, 27 years. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was four. My papa, even longer than that, he reads the Bible through every year and he always says every year, the more I know about God, the less I feel like I know. And he was a pastor for over 50 years and all this. And I've served Jesus for 27 years. And I can tell you, the more that I get to know God, the more mystery there is to him. The more I don't understand about him. Mystery is something that's kind of interesting in this generation because we're kind of intrigued by it, yet we have a struggle with it. We're intrigued because like when it comes to like ghost stories or like, you know, scary movies or even spirituality, like people like back in the day getting, you know, or even today getting around Ouija boards and stuff. There's like something about it that we're mysterious, especially uh, they say statistically that Gen Z is the most spiritually driven generation of any generation, yet they don't want religion. They don't want the church. They don't want anything new with God, but they are so intrigued by spirituality and mystery, which honestly blows my mind that they want spirituality. How do you have spirituality without God? One of his names is Holy Spirit. Spirit is in his name, spirituality. But with Gen Z, literally, they're so intrigued with mystery, but here's the thing. They also struggle with it simultaneously. Why? Because they're so used to being able to go to a place called Google and get all the answers. And they can pull up their phone, they can find an answer to something. So when they don't know the answer and they can't reveal the mystery, it kind of stumps them, and they don't know what to do with it. So they're simultaneously intrigued by this idea of mystery, yet they struggle with it because they can't get all the answers within the mystery. There's things about God that we don't realize. There's things about life we don't realize. It's a, it's a little bit at a time that he shows us. Mystery is a good thing, though. Not knowing everything, not having it. Let, let me speak to the young ladies real quick. Listen, I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to put anything on you. I'm literally... Like, what the message says, I must say, because it's what God gave me when I was writing this. Mystery is a good thing. It's okay to leave a little bit of mystery in some of the clothes that you wear. Let me, I'm going to go a little farther. It's okay to not show off everything that your mama gave you. It's okay to stay covered up. You don't want to know why? Because you leave mystery that one day a young man's going to marry you and you finally leave something still for him to unwrap and reveal the mystery one day. I appreciated my wife that she covered up, that when she walked in public, she was modest. Modest is hottest, okay? Okay, I'm telling you. And mystery is modest, okay? Mystery is modest. And I'm going to tell you, I appreciated that, that there was some mystery to her. Because when I got married, and I'm finally like, okay, it was like Christmas, so like open some gifts, you know what I mean? I was excited because... I'll tell you, from the age of 16 to 26, all I thought of, I'm going to be straight up honest, was sex. That's all I thought about. And every young man in the room, 
If they say different, you a liar. You a liar. Like I pointed right at one person. He goes, <laughs> like that. That was an accident, bro. Okay. That was an accident. Be- why? Because we're intrigued with what we yet do not know. We're intrigued with the mystery of what is to come. And young ladies, you're made to be a mystery. You're made to be pursued. You're made to be sought off after. You are made to be discovered. You are made to be found. You don't have to reveal everything your mama gave you. You take away all the mystery, and there's nothing for anybody to look for anymore. And so sometimes it's a good thing that you cover up. It's a good thing that you keep some things hidden because there is a day finally when God will place a young man in your life at the right time. You're going to say, I do. There's going to be a ring on it. You're going to be married. And then God can begin to unwrap some mysteries. But if you start showing off the mysteries ahead of time, you're giving the guy everything he wants right now. You're not worth it at that point. See, girls think, well, if I show a little bit, Maybe it'll actually intrigue them more. But the problem is, this is how guys think. Guys think, well, I got you. I don't want you anymore. I don't know what it is, but there's something about a guy. They want to be a pursuer. They want to go on a journey. They want to go on a quest. They're like, they're like an adventurer. They're like, they're like pulling out a map and like, how do I win her heart? Like, how do I get? Okay, I, I'm sorry, ladies. I mean, I, I should say I'm sorry, guys, because I'm like revealing all your secrets right now. I apologize. But you're like, okay, how do I get there? So you go to like her girlfriend, you're like, Hey, so like, what's her favorite candy? Or like, hey, what's her, what's her favorite movie? I'm going to buy it on, uh, it's Defiant? I already bought Defiant on Blu-ray. She like watching Defiant? Okay. Um, and, uh, and there's something about it where you're kind of trying to get to that point because there's a mystery to her that you want to unlock and you want to discover. When you don't leave any mystery, there's nothing more for you to be discovered about. I really felt like God gave me that for some ladies in the room. And again, I'm not, I'm not condemning you on any level, but I would tell you, even Shooby-Doo and the gang like a good mystery. They understand the importance of a good mystery. Mystery, when you look at Scripture, let, let's even go back to the Apostle Paul here. Look at the mystery in this moment with the Apostle Paul. He has this collision with Jesus. Look how he responds in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Like, he didn't know. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. See, Um, Paul had all this knowledge of who God was. He knew the Old Testament law. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher. He knew prophecies. He, He like knew it all, but the problem was he knew it here and it didn't translate here. He didn't know Jesus. When we were in Nicaragua, we'd minister to people and they're a highly religious culture there where we'd, when we minister to them, we'd say, hey, do you know Jesus? And they go, and then we go, no la mente en tu corazón. And they go, Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Not in your mind, in your heart. Don't, you don't just know about him. Do you know him? See, the Apostle Paul knew all these things about the Bible and God and all these things, but it had never translated to a point where he really knew God personally. That, you guys realize that's the whole pur- purpose of Jesus is to just know God personally not to be distant, not to be far, but to know him personally. When, when I look at this, this moment with the Apostle Paul, God was trying to take everything that he knew and build upon it to show him Jesus. So in the midst of the collision, look what Paul says. Look what he does. He says, verse 5, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Like, it's a mystery. I don't get it. What is this? Is this a statement or a question? Pretty simple. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Like, I, I've never encountered this before. What's happening? Who are you? Do you guys realize that your questions are not too big for God? Your questions are not too scary for God? He is not turned off by your questions. He welcomes your questions. He wants you to ask him questions. Because if you don't ask him questions, you can never actually get to the deeper truth of who he is. But the thing is, if you ask him questions, you have to make sure that you're able to respond and receive his answers. And this is what a lot of people do. A lot of people ask questions which they really don't want an answer to. They just ask big questions like, why do bad things happen to good people in the world? And they ask a question that they really don't care to pursue with faith to get to know the answer. They just want someone to blame. So listen, God can take it. If you want to blame him and hate, that's that's your thing. God can take it. He ain't scared of your questions. But what I'd say is ask God questions and respond with faith. Say, God, I have this question. I don't understand this. I want to know more about this but be willing to respond with faith so that when he answers it, you can say, okay, there's the crossroad. Cool, that's what I do. I heard it said that 
Questions are not what need answers. People do. So when you ask your questions, really what you're doing is you're saying, okay, mystery is attached to questions, but the answer is attached to me. God, I need, I need some answers. Maybe some of you come here this weekend and you need some serious answers in your life. You need God to meet you in some real ways. You know, I, I'll even tell you this. I'll be honest with you. This has been such a crazy journey getting here. One night's all summer. This Heart Loves Week last week. We came here Monday. We were setting up. We didn't get home till 3 a.m. back to Michigan. And then we had to put on all of Wednesday. Wrote the sermon you're going to hear Saturday. Wrote that. We put on Wednesday. Pastor Todd's running. I'm running. Pastor Steve, Pastor Luke, all of our team members, all our interns, we're running. And literally, as you guys were coming in, I was like, <laughs> I was like, God, I never like feel anxiety. So this is what anxiety feels like. Okay. I need some like prayer right now. Pastor Steve, pray for me. <laughs> And whatever I was feeling, what was happening is it was all building up into this moment of realizing, oh, this is all about to happen. This is in front of me. And I feel like a lot of times when we, we kind of enter these moments, we enter these moments where God's wanting to do things and God's wanting to unlock things, but we don't realize that sometimes, so this is for me, I had to just stop, be still, know that he, he's God. It's not like I was scared to come out here and speak to you guys. I do it all the time. But see, there are things that the devil wants to do in your life to deter you from getting closer to God. I think sometimes asking good questions is one of those things. Because here's two people, usually I see in the world. One, somebody that asks no questions and they just follow blindly everything that's told to them. And then they're on the street and they're telling something about Jesus and somebody goes, well, why does this happen? And you're like, I don't know. You know, and they kind of like walk away. There's those people that never ask questions at all. And there's the other people I traditionally see that ask questions only to be a big pain in the butt. And they do it only because they want to be a stink. They, don't, they do it just because they want to create problems. They don't actually have real questions they want truly heartfelt answers to. They ask questions just because they want to be a jerk, basically. So what I'd say to you is in the midst of whatever your emotions, like how, whatever you came in with, stop and ask good questions this weekend. Ask God, God, but why do you want this for my life? God, I don't know about this. God, what do I do with this? Because, see, good questions are actually a pursuit of knowing God more to unlock who he is. Questions are so much found in mystery. When I say that collision is found in the mystery, I'm not saying that God intentionally keeps things from you. Hear me. But I am saying that God does hide things from you. Because there is a season, there's a time for things to be revealed. And he at times hide things into the depth of who he is so that you will have to seek who he is to find the answers. Everybody wants the answers, but they don't really want to have to seek and pursue God the way it takes to pursue him. Because as you seek God in the mystery, it's actually building your faith. It's a pursuit of faith. I know following Jesus, I've done it long enough, that it can be very taxing. Having faith in Jesus, you're, you're praying to a God that you can't see. You're worshiping a God that you can't see. You're devoting and giving your life to a God you can't see. I get it. I've done it for a long time. Faith at times can be taxing because you're trying to have faith, and then you're like, well, I want to see this person get, gets healed. And then you read a scripture like, well, have faith as small as a mustard seed, and you can cast them out. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. I feel like I need to have a big faith. And how much faith is enough faith for God? There's these things that kind of bog us down at times. We're like, what is, what is the right answer? When you're asking God questions, realize this. He always has an answer, but sometimes... It's not that he's keeping it from you. He hides it within himself, so you have to pursue him to get to it. Because if he just gave you all the answers right away, it actually wouldn't unlock your faith the way it's supposed to. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Can I just explain this to you? Faith is not something that you need to have this weekend at a summer camp. Faith is something that you need to have as a lifestyle for a lifetime. Faith is something that you're going to need every single day because at times, following Jesus is very taxing. At times, it's like, well, I don't have an answer to that. And I, yes, that is a mystery to me. And, and, and somebody's going to hit you with something, and they're going to go, but why do you believe this? And you're like, I don't have the answer. And then you go and you talk to your youth pastor. I've had people come to me, and they go, oh, Somebody asked me this question, what do I say? And then I like give you the answer and you go, oh, why didn't I have the answer when they asked me that at school? You know, like, and it's okay, guys. It's okay to not have all the answers. That's the beauty of the mystery of God. Because as long as there is mystery, there's always more for us to discover about who he is. 
But he, what he does is he hides some of that inside of him, so we have to pursue it. Faith is praying when God hasn't moved. We've been praying for people in our church to get healed, and they're not healed yet. It's praying, and it's believing for God to move when he hasn't moved, when we haven't seen him. It's knowing that he's moving in the mystery even when we're not seeing it. We're not feeling it happen. These are the moments of holy collision. When you're least expecting it, when you don't think it's going to happen, when you're not ready for it, that's when God shows up. When you're pursuing him to a point of saying, I know you got some stuff hidden in you, God. I'm coming after you. God, I'm praying to you. I'm believing for you. I'm going to keep pressing in. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm partly speaking to the choir. I know not everybody came here for the same intention, but I believe a majority of you came here because put your hand up. You're saying you want more of God. Is that not you? You're saying, I'm here because I want more of God. So I know I'm preaching the choir, but some of you are like, but I got all these unanswered questions. Is God, is, is God going to answer all my questions? And is he going to answer it tonight? And, and how, what do I do for the? He might not. The beauty of the mystery is that as you continue to pursue him in it, you're discovering a piece at a time of what he's doing. And right when you least expect it, a holy collision happens. God shows up in this bright light on your road to Damascus in a moment where you were maybe going one direction, he shows you another, or maybe you were thinking one thing and he shows you another, a place where you didn't know what he was trying to say, who he is. And a lot of us get really worn out by mystery. Like, I'm one of those people's like, I like surprises, but at the same time, they kind of stress me out. Like, I don't know if you'd be honest with me in the room. Do, and maybe it's just me. I could be just the only weird one. But do any of you, like, when you're getting a birthday gift or Christmas gift, you're a little nervous as you're opening it because you're so scared that you're not going to like it and you're not going to have the right face in front of the people opening it and you're going to make them feel bad. Anybody in the room? Okay. Like, there's that mystery where it's kind of like, I'm, I'm opening this thing. And so... I literally go into it. I just put one of these on. I go right into it. And I go, I know I'm going to love it. You know? <laughs> oh, I love it. Like, I was already smiling, so I don't have to readjust my face. I just keep it smiling as I open it like this the whole time. Like, there's something about when you're pursuing this idea of mystery that it can wear you out because there's all these unknowns. You know, like, look at, look at it this way. We got these questions where we're saying, okay, Lord, what's the direction for my life? God, what do you have for me? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? God, uh, you know, what are you asking of me? God, what are you speaking to me? God, do I, okay, no, this way? Okay, like, what do I do with my life? Or I think one of the greatest mysteries I see in this generation, and especially, I said, I talked about a little bit ago, from the age of 16 to 26 is, I'll tell you in a second. Can I get, I need, let me, let me demonstrate this. Can I get like um, five, six, something like progression age, you're like 18, 20 on up. Come up here. Uh, guys, I need guys. Sorry. Come on, come on. Just like a few of you, a few of you. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come up. And here, come up on stage. Come up. Just, just stand like a straight line right here. Just kind of from you over, straight line. Okay. And here, you guys just hold this, hold this arrow for a second here. Okay. And then um, Lynn McLeod, can you come up here real quick? Okay, so step, step this way just a little, just a little, just a little. And then Len, just step right here. Step right here. <laughs> Don't, we planned that ahead of time. That was all planned. That was just for your laughing enjoyment. Not really. Okay, so, okay. So a question, now that I have them up here, because if I had set up the question, they all wouldn't have come up here. Um, I think a mystery that we all, a lot of us all have is, who am I going to marry, okay? And... <laughs> We have this question. It's, it's a mystery. Like, who am I going to marry? Like, who, where am I, who is it? Gonna, where are they going to be? Hasn't it, okay. So, and this is how we look at it. We kind of look at it as like, it's almost like, okay, I made sure I picked a very, very attractive young lady up here. Give a hand for Lynn. Thank you. Okay. And then, and then we got a good looking selection here of guys. Um, some a little too young for her, but it's an illustration. We're just going to make the point here. So, we almost look at this idea of like mystery, say with a question like, who am I going to marry, something like that, with this idea that, okay, there's like a million options and I got to figure it out and narrow it down to one option, okay? So let's kind of do that. Let's pretend we're, we're God here for a second. By a round of applause, I'm going to put my hand over somebody. You shout if they're going to marry Lynn, okay? Where do I start? Where do I start? Where do I start? Okay, let's just start here. Shout if they're going to marry Lynn. Nope, not going to, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, you guys are, like, very artistic and, like, okay, okay, no, you're too young. You're too young. You're too young. Okay. 
Mm, no, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay, stop, 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 stop. So we have, this, we have this idea in our mind when we're looking at all these unknowns. We're looking, smile, smile. It's like the present you're about to open, smile. Okay, okay. <laughs> Remember, just keep the smile, just keep the smile and nobody will even know. We have this idea when it comes to God's mystery, when it comes to like things we don't know, such as like, who am I gonna marry, right? Have you ever thought about that question? Be honest, like, have you ever thought, who am I going to marry? How's this going to end up? Like, are they going to be older than me, younger than me? Are they going to be tall? Are they going to be short? Are they going to be, like, blonde hair? Like, uh, like if you're a girl, like, if he, is he going to have big muscles or is he going to eat potato chips? You know what I mean? Like, so you have these thoughts. You have these thoughts, okay? And you're, there's all this mystery. Who am I going to marry? And we have this thought process where, let's say, here's us, okay? And we're thinking, okay, there's all these options, and i got to narrow it all down. Can I get some help out here? Let me show you, though, in the midst of the mystery, what faith looks like. Just stand out here. Can you blindfold Lynn for me real quick? Okay. Just stay right here. Don't fall. Right here. Okay. Um, boys, uh, move over here with the arrow, please. Move over here. Move over here. Move over here. Okay. Okay. Keep the, keep the blindfold on. Okay, one second, let me preach, okay, and then we'll, we'll do the review. So we have this thought process where we're saying, okay, she's just listen, we're about to get there. She, she's helped me preach. We have this thought process where we're saying, okay, God, I got to narrow it down. I got to figure it out. Listen, faith is when you can't see, you believe that God already has it worked out. So there's this thought process that we got to hurry up and work it all out. We got to figure it out on the mystery because the reality of it is... God already had it picked from the very beginning. Like, okay, this is an illustration. I know, I know we're hating for a sec, but we love them. I know. Okay. Listen, though. God already had it all worked out from the very beginning. We have this thought process that in the mystery, we got to figure out, okay, really all it is is you surrender to realize in faith, God, I already know you have somebody picked out for me. God, when I'm blind and I haven't seen it yet, God, when it's not there for me yet, when there's like a, a, not a conclusion to it, God, that's when you already got it worked out. It's this simple, match made in heaven. This is what it looks like when two people honor the Lord and they seek the Lord. All roads point to Jesus. <laughs> to Jesus, not each other. Give a hand for these guys. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for being good. I, I just had to make a point here. You all get what I'm saying? You get the point? I know, like, I know we're laughing and stuff, and it, it is very funny, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but you get the point. In our mind, we're, we're like waiting for God to give us this applause to finally like reveal it all and show us whatever the step is of our life. And the reality is he's saying, actually, when you can't see it, that's when I'm like, I'm not just doing it. I've already done it. Really what it is, you know what? We're late to the party. He already has it all worked out. It's finally we step in the room and we go, oh, okay, you already got that all set up. It's, it's good. Like, I didn't have to stress about that. I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to be in fear about that. Like, I can walk in, and you've already taken care of it. Unanswered questions. We're going to have a lot of unanswered questions in the midst of the mystery. What it all really comes back to is trust. All that trust is is having faith that God already has plans. He already has the details worked out. He has already has everything in place. Because I believe that your collision can come when you don't know what's next but you trust that God does. You don't know exactly when it's going to happen. You don't know what's next. But along the way, in every situation, every day of your life, all that you're doing is trusting God. I know you got this. God, I know that you already know what's next. I know, God, that you already have all of this worked out. God, I'm trusting you. I don't know what's next. I can't see it. I haven't been to the future. All I can do is step in time second by second every day and millisecond by millisecond. But God, I trust that you do know. You know, uh, it wouldn't be a sermon if somehow my son didn't end up in it. I try to take him out, and somehow he always finds his way into my sermons. Because I cannot help but learn more about God when I'm around him. I can't help it. The other day, um, Zealand was being just like a big pain in my backside. Like he was crying and crying and crying and crying, and he would not stop. And usually you find like these signs and these ticks, and you're kind of like, okay, he's crying because of this. And, you know, and it's, he just kept crying. We're doing this thing where you walk in, five minutes, I love you, buddy, put his passy in, leave, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We're trying to let him cry it out. But 
I mean, we're talking like hours. This is going on for hours. And we're like, what is going on? We played with them. We cradled them. We you know, talked to them. We put them back to bed. We feed them. Nothing worked. And we're like, what is going on? Finally, like, this was stressing Sid out so much. I hadn't seen her like this. There was just a lot of pressure, a lot of weight from just the day and life and ministry, you know, season. It's just been a crazy season. And, like, this was like a cherry on top. And so uh, he's crying. Finally, she just goes, I don't know what to do. She, she leaves. She goes out. And I come in the room, and you can hear him on the monitor. But then when I came in, we were there, and I was listening. We kind of turned it off because you could hear him just crying through the room. She finally put her face down, and she's just, just crying out to God. She's like, I, I don't know what to do right now. Like, this is a complete mystery to me. Like, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. I've never experienced this before. God, I know it's not the end of the world. I'm a new mom, but, like, I, I don't know what to do. And so I had, uh, I was just, I believe, preparing, or I just had preached a message called Peace Over Pressure. And I felt like with the Holy Spirit immediately, like, hey, what do you mean you felt like the Holy Spirit? I mean, like it, like, it came into my mind. Like, I had this thought immediately as I was there. That's what I mean, like, by God talking to you. Like, I had this thought. And uh, I felt like God was just like, you need to go pray over your son, pray peace. I want you specifically to say the word peace over him, peace over him. And I want you to pray in tongues over him, pray in my spirit over him. So I should have just told Sid what I was doing, but I saw she was kind of, you know, down with the Lord and bent out of shape and really kind of, you know, messed up. And so I, I walked back there in the room and I just walked in and I had broken our cycle of, of waiting to let him cry it out. I didn't really think about it. I just went in there and I just immediately started praying over him. I said, peace in the name of Jesus, peace in the name of Jesus. I started praying in the spirit over him, peace and praying in the spirit. And I'm there and I'm doing it. And I'm like... God, why did you ask me to do this? This is not working. He just cried even harder. Like, it was like, it was awful. I'm like trying to get all spiritual and just, ah, peace in the name of Jesus. Ah, he's freaking out over top of me. I'm like, this ain't working at all right now. You know what I mean? Like, what, did I even hear right? Is this what you wanted me to do? Why am I in here doing this right now, God? Peace, peace. And he's still crying. I'm like, okay, maybe I heard wrong. I go to leave and I'm walking out of the room. As I'm walking out of the room, I just hear, God. Okay, now listen, I got to set this up. He has like reflux, so he gags all the time. This was different. And I'm there and I'm watching it. And I used to be too aggressive as a dad because I'd just be like, no, my son, got to save him. And I go in there and literally I'd like, and I I found out I was, I guess I need to be gentler. My wife always tells me that. She's been telling me that for years. Be gentle, Dave, be gentle, be gentle. And so I guess you just have to like kind of pat. And I was was like giving him straight like, you know. (laughs) Like spankings on his back, basically, you know? So I've learned, like, okay, just, he's good. He kind of, and he's good. This was different. Like, for five seconds, which felt like five minutes, he's just choking. Could have been longer, but I'm just trying to be realistic. Five seconds. He's choking. And I'm kind of like, you got it, buddy. Breakthrough. You need your daddy. And okay, so he's like, he's choking. I immediately go up. He's just, he's gagging. He's like, he's gagging. I pulled him up. I'm like, okay, buddy, buddy, buddy. I pick him up. Oh, we should have taken those CPR classes. I know we talked about it. We should take it. And literally, I start slamming him, slamming him. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come on. Sit. I'm yelling for it. Come on, buddy. He threw up all over my arm, all down my leg, covered my shoe. And it was my foot, my bare foot. And I didn't know he covered my foot, so I walked all over the house with it for a little bit, and I didn't know it. He puked all over the rug all over this like pillow thing his little gym is over and then like he's literally just like a human throw up you know like so i'm literally carrying he's like and like literally i'm carrying him around finally i get him onto the hardwood floor he's still throwing up guys i was like panicking i'm like yelling sid sid but she had saw that i was in the room so she went out she went outside and she was just like praying because she saw I was there. And I'm, I'm like running through the house with this puking baby. He just like run through the house. <laughs> I need your help. So she finally gets in there. The day ends. We lay down in bed. And I'm just thinking about what just happened. My wife turns to me and she says, I was thinking about this. What if you hadn't gone in there to pray? What if you hadn't been in there when that happened? And it was like, oh, I could just like feel it. It just fell on me. 
like the, the weightiness of that. It was this complete mystery, and so I thought I was just trusting the Lord and being obedient. He just asked me to go pray. So I went in there to go pray. I didn't realize that he strategically set it up that right as I walked in to pray, Zealand would be going through that, and I would be there. There are all these things that we don't know. There are all these mysteries, these pieces to God that we don't understand, that we don't know, because trusting God in the mystery is realizing that even in the midst of the collision where it's unknown to you, it's always known to him. Like, I couldn't figure out why Zealand was crying. Sid couldn't figure it out. He's crying, he's crying. We couldn't figure it out. But God knew. So even when I enter a moment where I'm walking in blind, it's a mystery. It's completely unknown to me. You have to realize that even in the midst of the the unknown to you, it's still known to God. God knows exactly what's happening. I went in there thinking one thing. God, I'm going to pray over him, and hopefully he stops crying. Okay, he's not stopping crying, leaving. And you lay your head on the pillow, and you'll see when you're their parent and stuff, and you lay your head on the pillow, and I go, wow. God, you are working in ways that I can't see. You are doing things that I'm not aware of. And what feels completely unknown to me is always known to you. Because the reason that the mystery of God is so difficult many times for us is because God only shows us a piece of his plans at a time. God only shows us a little part of it. Like literally just a light in the darkness. He shows us what we need in a season in a time, and he only shows us that much. He only shows us a little bit because he knows if he shows us too much, then we will have no reason to rely on him. We'll have no reason to trust him. We'll have no reason to seek him. We'll have no reason to come after him anymore. So he only shows us what we need to see when we need to see it. Because the bottom line is if God turned all the lights on, and if God showed us everything at once, if he revealed all of it to us and he goes, hey, uh, just so you know, here's my whole plan. I uh, just want to let you know you're going to marry that person. You're going to do this. And you're going to do that. We would screw it up. We would screw it up royally. I- I'll tell you this. It freaked me out when, um, when I uh, was talking to a lady in our church. She came to me and she goes, I had a vision of you and Sid. We had just started dating. It freaked me out. <laughs> and she goes, I had a vision of you and Sid. And Sid was walking down the aisle, and you were standing at the end of the aisle as she was walking down. That, that was too much information. <laughs> I just started dating her. I was just starting to get to know her. And so here's this thing. You see all the darkness, and you see this light, and you, you just see how, excuse, excuse me, there's just a little bit illuminated here at a time. There's just a little bit shown at a time. You know, the, uh, the, the King David, he, write, he was the writer of the Psalms. He said in Psalm 119, 105, he said, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And he's saying, as I follow your word, I might only see a little bit at a time. I might only know a little bit of you at a time. But as I know a little bit of you at a time, I can actually get to know more of you in the midst of the mystery of who you are. You know, when you don't know something about God, when you don't know in life what to do, when you don't know what the next step is, and when all that you see is this, like, little light in a dark room, that's what you feel the mystery of God looks like, what do you do? When you don't know, what do you do? You come back to what you do know. So let's do it together. I know that God created me. I know that I'm made in his purpose. I know that he loves me. He proved it in John 3, 16. He loves me so much that he gave his one and only son for me. So when there's a lot I don't know, I come back to what I do know. What do I know? I know that there is one truth that always remains. I know that there is one victory that I can always stand upon. I know that there is one mystery that unlocks all mysteries. The thing that I know when I don't know everything else, the thing that I can always come back to is the cross of Christ. The thing that I can always come back to is the victory of the cross, the victory of who Jesus is, the victory of what he did for us. So when I'm caught up in the places that I don't know, when I'm caught up in the mystery of God, what do I come to? I come to the cross. The greatest collision in all of history is the cross. The greatest collision that had ever taken place 
is the cross. The cross, a place where sin and grace collided. A place where we come and enter as sinners and we leave as sons and daughters. The cross, a place where when you don't know a bunch of things in life, when you don't know a bunch of things about God, you come back to one thing you do know, that's Jesus, and it's all you have to know. So there might be all these things, God, I don't get this. God, I don't understand this. God, come back to the cross. Honestly, this ain't a starting place. The journey starts and it ends at the cross. Your whole life should start and end at the cross. Because Jesus hung on this in the midst of the mystery for us. Jesus hung on this in the midst of everything he was going through, in the midst of all the mystery. Let me, let me prove it to you. Look at scripture. Luke 23, verse 33 to 34. When they came to the place called the skull, that it was a mountain called Golgotha, it looked like a skull. This is where Jesus died. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, catch this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Did you catch this? Forgive them, read it, for they do not know. You see in the mystery here? They don't know. There was a mystery in the midst of the cross. Literally, Jesus, between these two criminals, he's dying. There's all these things that people did know, but they did not know what they were doing. It was completely unknown. Look at, look at, look at them. Verse 35. The people stood watching. The rulers even snared at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Look at this. There's all these Jewish leaders, all these teachers of the law. They knew all these scriptures. They knew all these things about the, the Old Testament at the time, the law, the Torah, it was called. They knew all these things, yet they could not recognize that every prophecy spoken, every single mystery spoken, it was fulfilled and hanging on the cross. The mystery was hanging on the cross. They knew all of these things in their head, but it was not translated into their heart. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So he hung there, innocent, between two criminals who were condemned. And scripture says in verse 39 that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now keep this up on the screen. Aren't you the Messiah? Question mark. People throwing out questions, throwing out blame, not really pursuing with faith, not really wanting the answers, not really wanting the mystery fulfilled, but just being angry that they don't know. Aren't you the Messiah? You see here this question. It's a question, but not pursuing truth, not pursuing the answer. And then in verse 39, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, see the question? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I find this so interesting. Two criminals, both condemned, hanging between Jesus hanging between the mystery, yet the responses were so different. They were both there because they did not live good lives. They had done many things wrong. They're both there. They're broken. They're a sinful mess. They're both dying. Yet one of them responded with denial of the Savior, and the other responded with desperation for a Savior. One of them said, aren't you the Messiah? Oh, no. Okay, save yourself. Oh, okay. Complete denial. The other on the other side responded with complete desperation. One of them was denying Jesus there, and the other one was desperate for Jesus. Now, the reason I think this is so interesting is because the one that was desperate for Jesus, he didn't have all the answers. He knew like, he claimed to be the Son of God. He didn't fully understand all of it. There was a lot of questions he had. There was a lot of mystery to it. But picture this moment. He's looking into the eyes of Jesus. He's on the cross right beside him. Blood is dripping down him. He, he's, a, he's a massacre in front of him. And he's looking in his eyes and he's saying, you know what? 
I have a lot of questions and I, there's a lot of mystery and I don't get it all. But when I look in your eyes, all I can think is, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Why, why, is, this such a, why is this such an important phrase? Will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Because even on the cross, he could recognize that Jesus was still a king. Even in the midst of the cross, in the midst of the blood, like kings don't look like that. Kings don't hang in front of people naked as a public spectacle and a mockery. Kings don't do that. They're respected. They're treated like above everyone. And even in the midst of this moment, in the midst of the mystery, in the midst of what it didn't make sense, what he did not know, he stops and he says in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Which criminal are you? Because listen, that's all we are. We are liars, we are cheats and thieves. In this room, fornicators. In this room, a bunch of people that are just a mess, me included, just a mess. Screwed up more times than we can count. But what criminal are you? Because that's all we are as criminals. All that we are is people who deserve to be on the cross. We deserve death. We deserve the punishment because we've sinned against God. It says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't measure up to that. We deserve this. Well, which one are you? Are you the one that responds with denial or the one that responds with desperation? Are you the one that says, well, forget it. I don't really get it. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. It's not spelled out for me. If, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. Nope, not going to do it. Okay, not going to believe. Or are you the one that says, I deserve to be here. I have sinned. I have screwed up. And I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need of who you are. I'm in need of Jesus. It really is that simple, guys. This whole weekend has set the pace. It really is as simple as you answering that question. Which criminal are you? Are you going to let it stick with you or separate? Because here is the moment, if you didn't realize, here's the first collision of the weekend. It's the crossroad where you have to make a decision where God is now speaking to you through me, speaking to you through his word, speaking to you through worship tonight. And it's this crossroad where God's coming towards you and he's saying, what are you going to choose? Which criminal are you? Are you going to deny me or be desperate for me? Only you can answer what's going on in your heart. Only you can respond to him. This is not about hype. This is not to say, okay, well, let me give like a big shouting moment here. Like, I believe there's moments to, to inspire and encourage people to come, but this is a, a, a moment right here, just so gentle. Like, just I'm just kind of like patting you on the back right now. I'm not coming too hard, just patting you where you have to respond to that question. Well, you know, Pastor Dave, obviously I'm going to say I'm the desperate criminal because, you know, I, I come to church all the time and you've seen me, I worship. I don't care. That doesn't impress me. That doesn't impress God. Like, you don't need to show off to me. You don't need to do anything this weekend because you think that people will like you better if you do something or God will like you better if you do something. This really is a question of which criminal are you to really determine the destination of your eternity. This is a question to determine the destination of this weekend, I believe. It's a question for you to recognize in this moment, okay, am I going to go this way or that way at the crossroad? There's some of you that you already know. You have a relationship with God. You love Jesus. And as we enter his presence in a little bit, there's more that we're going to continue to step into and more that he has for you. But some of you can't answer that wholeheartedly. You even come to We Are One on Wednesdays or you come on Sundays to Gateway and you're there, but you can't wholeheartedly say, like, I'm all in. I'm desperate for him. I need him. And you know what the problem is? I've been serving Jesus for 27 years. The longer you serve God, the harder it is to continue to build something of faith because what happens is you get tired out as you go. Life tries to tire you. That's why I love hanging out with young people because it keeps me fresh. It keeps me excited. It keeps me going. 
If I don't daily get in God's presence, if I don't seek his face, if I don't get in the place of the mystery and say, God, I don't know everything that you're doing, but I know you're doing stuff. If I don't do that, my relationship with God goes stale. And God just told me to speak this to some people. The, the problem is you've been coming to church for so long that you have become one of those statistic Christians that literally the world hates. That they look that we claim one thing with our mouth, but we don't do it with our actions. You're not a person of faith. You don't pray prayers of faith. You don't seek him like you know you're supposed to seek him. Go to church. You think, guys, you know why we go to church? We go because we are the church and we want to come together. We want to believe together. We want to bind our faith together. We want to, we want to encourage each other. We want to love each other. That's why we do it. We don't do it because that's what gets us into heaven. We do it because we want to continually be consistent and grow in what Jesus has already done in our heart. If you haven't allowed Jesus to do something real in your heart, it ain't going to matter. You can't just go to church and be like, okay, well, I went to church. I'm going to go to heaven now. No, you're not. If you did not realize that you're hanging next to Jesus and process that, I'm hanging here, I deserve death, and you don't look at Jesus and say, will you remember me? Like, I need you to remember me. I have sinned. I've fallen short. I've screwed up. I need you to, if you don't cling to the cross, if you're not desperate for the things of God, the devil's going to strip you of anything you've been given. Scripture's really clear about this. When, when, when a seed is planted and the birds come and snatch it. And I believe that there's people in the room that you become so lazy in your faith and God doesn't want to put a shot in your arm so you act all crazy this weekend. God wants to put something in you for the rest of your life. You know what we're praying for? We're praying that there would be future marriages in this room, that every, everybody in this room that would come to Jesus, that their marriages would be on fire for the things of God that literally the girls would receive this to be modest, that they would walk in that mystery and guys would be pursuers of their heart before their body and that they would come and they'd get to know a young lady's heart and they'd find somebody and they would have this amazing marriage that honors the Lord. And you, re you realize that the divorce rate is just as bad in the church as it is in the world? And that we wouldn't be one more statistic, but we'd be something real because we've had a collision with Jesus and so now our marriage is on a collision track. And then we start having kids little like Zealands and whatever they're called, running all over the place. And we're like all having kids. And then our children are being raised up to serve the Lord and our family is following the Lord. This thing is not about a weekend of you showing how Jesus and churchy and religious you can look. This is about you realizing that what God wants to do in you is for a lifetime. It's a lifestyle for a lifetime with him. And so all that we're gonna do you know, I, I don't have like this crescendo moment to say, okay, well, let me have the band do this just right. Literally, I want us just tonight to surrender. That's all it is. If we don't surrender tonight, we can't get to the rest of the sessions. Because I'm telling you, the message is that the rest of our team is prepared. They, they are incredible, and they're going to speak to your heart. But if tonight you don't surrender to the cross, you don't surrender to the collision, you don't say, okay, God, you know what? You're not going to sideswipe me. You're going head on. I'm coming then. Head on with you. If we don't surrender to that, God can't do anything in us. So if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to teach you how to do it because you're going to do it on your own. And this is what I want to encourage you. If tonight, on your own, if you give your heart to Jesus, I want you to find somebody, find one of our pastors and tell them, hey, I gave my heart to Jesus tonight. That's how you do it. You let say, Jesus, I'm a criminal. I've sinned. I've screwed up but I believe that you're the Savior and you died for me. I receive that. Amen or something. I don't know. Because some people are like, you don't know how to do it, and what happens is I manufacture it to help you get you there, but maybe it's not authentic and genuine, and you do it because the rest of the room is doing it. If you want Jesus, he's right here. You can have as much of him as you possibly want. So all I'm going to do, I'm going to call the altar right now, and we're just going to wait on the Lord for a little bit. Surrender. You know, there's a... There's all these different things we have set up. And I want you to respond to them when you feel you're supposed to respond to. We have these experience walls you see on the sides. And literally the way they're set up is there's things that either have happened to you or things you've done where you're saying, that is my things of earth. And there's yarn over there and you can bring them over to heaven and say, I wanna, I wanna give this to you tonight, God. And it might be, you might do it after the session tomorrow. You might do it tonight. You might do it Saturday. But you walk over there and say, God, I wanna give this to you. 
Also in your discussion guide, you'll see there's all these different arrows. And tonight you see all the arrows pointing all over the place. And really, maybe what you need to do is just stop and ask God some questions. Some, some questions to surrender yourself. Like, Lord, what is the mystery that I have an answer, that I have a question about I need an answer to? And maybe you just want to put that down with the Lord. Maybe you want to sit and journal. Maybe you want to just sit in silence. Maybe you need to walk around. Maybe tonight you just want to on your own say, God, I want to dedicate my whole life to you. I want to give you my whole life. I need your forgiveness, and I want to live for you. Listen, here's, you know what's beautiful about this? You don't have to have all the right words to be forgiven by Jesus. All that you have to do is give him your heart. Give him your life. Give him your, he wants your past, present, and future. He wants all of it. So as Pastor Luke just plays for a little bit, we're just going to open up this space for you to come meet with God. If you, if you want to even go somewhere else, but you just want to meet, I encourage you, whatever it looks like, take a journal or sit there in silence or pray or worship, walk around, whatever it looks like for you, we're just going to surrender tonight. We're going to start by just saying, God, I surrender to who you are so I can enter the collision. Sound good? Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to every heart. I pray that you'd move in every single person, in their mind and in, the, in their heart, Lord. God, I pray that you begin to fill, fill their mouth, Lord, with words that can help describe what they're feeling and what they need from you. Fill their mind, Lord, with thoughts only from heaven. Fill their heart, Lord, with the, the faith necessary to know that, God, you are in control. We surrender ourselves before you tonight, Lord. Help us to enter the collision with your grace and your peace on our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.